It's game day, Tampa Bay. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest Lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Lightning Power Play Live. The Lightning getting set to take on the Coyotes tonight. Pre-game will be at 7.30. The puck drops at 8 o'clock. We do have the last call for you. Eric Erlinson and I will be doing that. So hopefully you stay up a little late for us and we talk some more Lightning hockey. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins me in segment two. Rick Morin from the Arizona Republic joins me in segment four to talk about the Coyotes. Lightning looking to get back on uh, the winning ways tonight after losing to Vegas uh, the other night. Team did have an optional skate this morning. Good news, Ryan McDonough and Jan Ruta were both on the ice. John Cooper did talk about Braden Point feeling well enough to play tonight, although Cedric Paquette will be a game-time decision and look for Andre Vasilevsky to get the start in net. So I think for the Lightning, getting back to a little more structured hockey tonight, against Arizona will be a, I think, good test, a good thing for them. Arizona's not a good offensive team, although they have some guys who can hurt you. Their goaltending has been really good. But basically since around December 19th, the Coyotes were in first place. Since then, they have really struggled to win games, and now they find themselves on the outside looking in when it comes to a playoff picture, even though they've made some moves to get Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall to shore up that offense. They are still one of the worst teams in filling the net. They rely on goaltending. They rely on defense. And tonight will be a good test, I think, not only for Arizona going against Tampa Bay, but for Tampa Bay in that environment to come out with two points against the Coyotes. So we'll see how that all plays out tonight. It's interesting. Blake Coleman was uh, taking line rushes the other day with Sorelli and Kalorn. I find that really interesting. Now, that was because, you know, in part, Cedric Paquette wasn't in the lineup, but I don't think that affects where Coleman's going to be in the lineup. I think we've made so much talk about Coleman being in a bottom six, but as I said before, who's to say that, you know, Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat are guys that maybe are demoted rather than just slating Coleman to be your third-line winger? I mean, those guys haven't had tremendous years. I think Palat, in terms of what you were trying to get from him, has been more consistent. Johnson's been up and down. Coleman's been more consistent this year than those two players. And let's face it, he plays with Sorelli and Kalorn. There's a lot of jam on that line, a lot of speed, and a lot of grit. And heading into the playoffs, to have a line like that who can produce but also be tough to play against is something that's very intriguing to me. Again, if those line combinations hold up, the third line will be somewhat interesting because now you have Tyler Johnson playing with Palat. There's good chemistry there. And if Yanni Gord is on the other side, that's still a pretty skilled third line that has some speed, that has some credentials, and can play pretty gritty. And it'll be interesting to see if John Cooper stays with those lines. Before we go to break, I think it is worth mentioning 40 years ago today, the U.S. defeated the Russians 4-3. to Think about that. 40 years ago, Miracle on Ice at Lake Placid, probably the greatest sports moment in the history of this great country when you factor in not only on the ice, but what was going on off the ice 
It's cliche. I get it. There are a lot of people that don't know about Lake Placid and the Miracle on Ice, but we shouldn't forget it because it was a big time and a big moment in our country. And what those kids did against professionals is something I'm not sure we'll ever see again. And then you factor in what was happening outside of the sports world. It was one of the rare times I think sports can bring a country together. And that's exactly what happened in 1980. Your thoughts on Miracle on Ice? Was that the greatest moment in sports history? If not, what was? And we'll talk about this game tonight. Do you like Coleman on a second line with Sorelli and Kalorn? I actually like it. I think it makes sense and good for John Cooper for keeping an open mind when it comes to where Coleman should be in the lineup. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports is up next on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Peter Kudrop left circle, cross ice Johnson, right circle. Shoot, score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. So glad you're with us. It's a Saturday, and that means the Lightning are playing the Coyotes. The Coyotes are an interesting team. They need um, as many points as possible here. You know, when they made the Taylor Hall trade, I applauded them. I I like teams that feel like they're a playoff team that kind of go for it because in today's parody-driven league, we just... You have no idea what next year is going to bring. I think, you know, in some ways, the Lightning are a good example of that. But Arizona, they go get go out and get Hall, and they're trying to, uh, you know, make their team better. They are in the, just on the outside looking in when it comes to the last wildcard spot in the West. They've got 68 points through 64 games. So they've played the most games in the National Hockey League right now. So other teams have two games in hand right now on Arizona. And uh, it's a team that's got Phil Kessel, that's got Taylor Hall, but haven't quite put it all together yet. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries. Of course, Tampa Bay knows something about injuries here recently. And uh, I want to get our next guest thoughts on some of the trades that have been going down in the NHL, the Lightning in general. And what did he make of the Blake Coleman deal? It's our good friend, Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports. You can check out his podcast along with Trevor Grout that's airing throughout the weekend here on Lightning Power Play. Brooksy, good to be with you, buddy. And, uh, boy, it is hard to believe we've got, what, 21 more games remaining on the regular season schedule, uh, including tonight. And that just means that the playoffs are looming, aren't they? Yeah, I think um, this entire season has been just one big, long wait and one long uh, build up towards the playoffs. I mean, especially after we all know what happened last year with the Lightning. I mean, it's not something that we really need to rehash again. But, you know, it, ever ever since then, you know, it's you, you can make the case that this has been a, a bit of a um, the first part of a redemption tour for the Lightning, so to speak. And we won't know the end of that story, obviously, until the playoffs get here. But it, it's crazy how, you know, you settle into the grind of a season and then towards the end, it almost feels like, you know, it, it feels like the season just began. And now we're almost, you know, getting to the postseason. But you know, it's that time that, that you know down the home stretch when you got the trade deadline coming up, and teams have already been making moves, including the Lightning as well. And uh, I, I've always felt that this is a—it's it, a pretty fun time of year. I mean, it's does it the, the, does the trade deadline still have the same meaning as in years past? Probably not because of the salary cap, because teams make trades in the days and weeks leading up to the deadline, 
And we see more deals happening at the draft than the offseason when you know teams have a more clear idea of their cap situation, their roster situation. But all in all, even with that being said, it's it's still fun to check out you know what's going to happen with the trade deadline and that and to me that's always the uh, the the mile marker that says hey the playoffs are just around the corner. What do you make of the trade deadline in general? It feels like uh, Brooksy over the last couple of years teams are willing to hold out <laughs> and maybe demand a pretty steep price to engage in a trade. And do you think that's because of the parody in today's game that more teams are looking at the draft as a way to get better quicker and that if you really want one of my players, you've got to pay a hefty price to get them? Yeah, I think that that's been been the case. I think more and more teams are realizing that, you know, building and developing through the draft is definitely the way to go. I mean, the Lightning figured that, that out. You know, right when, you know, a decade ago when Steve Eiserman took over as the GM and they put that philosophy in place. And, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the trade deadline certainly has its uses. You know, if if you're a contender on the verge of, if, you know, say, say you're in the lighting shoes, you're in win now mode. The trade deadline is a good time to add a piece that you think is, is missing and that you could, that you feel like you need for the stretch run. But it's also kind of a buyer beware time as well because, you know, I, I've always I've always felt like teams will you know just seem to overpay for true rentals and the Lightning have been smart about that. They their mo, whether it was under Eiserman, whether it was under Julian Breezeboff, has not really been to go after true rentals. You know, they've been seeking guys with term. I mean, look at Ryan McDonough a couple of years ago. Look at Braden Coburn a few years before that. I mean, and of course. Just a few days ago, with the uh, with the Blake Coleman trade, and you know, it, it's it's teams are I think are getting a little bit smarter when it comes to the deadline and seeking to add guys that have a little bit of term left on their contracts, rather than making the big splashy move for a true rental. Now, now, can you really blame a team if they want to say add, add a guy like Chris Kreider from the Rangers? If you feel like that's the missing piece that you need to make a cup run. You know what? Go for it. I mean, it, it, you know, teams that are, you know, teams that are in that position. If you're in win now mode, you, you got to keep that window open. And if you're a seller, you know that this is a great time to, you know, accumulate assets for the future. And it seems like with this year's deadline, I've noticed that there's there's a lot more teams that you could say are defined sellers. You know, teams like New Jersey, teams like L.A., Ottawa. Detroit, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot more true defined sellers, I think, than we've seen in the past. Because with the parity that you mentioned, there's so many more teams that are in what I like to call the mushy middle of the league that are, you know, just fighting for a playoff spot or, you know, just basically trying to get in. Because that's the mentality of the NHL now is just get in the playoffs. Because as we as we've seen, especially last year, you never know what's going to happen. Well, Brooksy, what did you make of the Blake Coleman trade? I want to get your thoughts on it. Did you feel like Tampa Bay gave up too much? Or do you feel like in today's environment, for that type of player and that type of term, that's just about right and um, good on the Lightning for getting a guy like that? I mean, you can make a case that it's a slight overpay, but you have to look at the position that the Lightning are in. They're in, they're in the, you know, clearly in the contender category. You know, they're, they're a team that's in win-now mode. They've gotten past the point of accumulating assets, of, you know, developing their players. They've got a championship-ready roster right now. But, 
I, I think that even though you could make the case that it was a slight overpay to get Blake Coleman, I love the trade. I think it's a great deal, especially to get a, a player with another year left on his contract after this one. You, know, you get a high-energy guy that can score goals, that can kill penalties, that fits right into your lineup, that, that can play up and down the lineup at any spot. And the fact that he only makes $1.8 million a year on his, con- you know, on his contract this year and next, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, you combine that with the fact that he's got another year left, I can see why Julian Brisebois gave up a first-round pick and Nolan Foote as well. And Nolan Foote's a really good prospect. You know, he's a guy that I had a chance to see live at last year's um, Lightning Development Camp over the summer. I have a feeling he's going to be a top six forward in this league. I mean, he's got the tools to do it. Is it a guarantee that's going to happen? No. And that's the thing about prospects. You never really know how they're truly going to pan out. But when you're in the Lightning's position and you're trying to win a cup right now, it's it's the right move to go after a known quantity that can help your roster, not just now, but next year as well, because let's face it, there's there's going to be some roster decisions to make this summer. The the, the cap crunch is coming. You know, Sergachev needs a new contract. Sorelli needs a new contract. Eric Chernak needs a new contract. You know, when you got seventy five million dollars tied up into thirteen players for next season, there's going to be some tough decisions to make. And when you can add a, a good value contract like Blake Coleman's into that mix for this year and next, I mean they. All in all, I, I thought it was a really, really, really good move for the Lightning. If this was an aging team whose stars were descending as players and not ascending like we've seen some of them who are already locked up to long-term deals, do you think they make a move like this to give up some prospects and draft picks to win now? Or do you feel like, regardless, if Tampa Bay is in a position to win, they should do it? I just feel like their farm system right now, their AHL club, and without Murray, Tampa Bay should never feel or never apologize for giving up prospects because Al Murray is a big strength within this organization, and the reason why they're in this spot is because he's been able to find talent basically every year. Yeah, you're absolutely right about about what he's been able to do um, when it comes to finding players. I mean, you look at the track record of the Lightning over the last decade. I mean, even going back to when Steve Eisenman was here and when he first hired Al Murray, you know, the strength of this team's scouting and drafting has really has not been in the first round. <laughs> the first round track record, just all in all, with a couple of exceptions, really hasn't been there. It's where they found success has been in rounds two, three, and four, round seven. I mean, that's wh- that's where they found guys like Kutrov and Point and Sorelli and Stevens and even Andre Palat. I mean, when you look at the history of the first-round picks over the last decade or so, really, Andre Vasilevsky's been the lone true standout. Now, they used Jonathan Druin in a trade to get Mikhail Sergachev, which that's worked out very well for the Lightning as well. So, I mean, you could almost make a case that Sergachev's like a first-round pick in a way. But all in all, the strength of this um, of this team's scouting and drafting and developing has been in the middle rounds. And, you know, if, if they can continue to find players like that and keep them coming up to the system, that's going to really, really help, you know, down the future. Now, getting back to your point about whether or not they would make this trade if the roster were aging, I still think, you know, say if this trade had happened two years from now, 
I, I, I still think it would have been a good move. Now, say you look down the road five or six years and they're making that move. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be a lot more skeptical because all the core players would be older by then towards the backside of their career. Might be a little bit more skeptical. But while your core's in its prime, you know, to me, when you've got that kind of group together, you go for it as much as you can. I mean, it, it's, it's happening. I mean, take a look at Pittsburgh. You know, as long as they've got Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin still producing at a very, very high level, their window's still open. And they're, they, they've continued to go for it. And they're going to continue to go for it until Malkin and Crosby and the rest of their core guys kind of slide out of their prime years. So I, I think as long as your top players are still playing at a high level, you owe it to them and you owe it to your fan base, I think, to really make moves to ensure that you're going to be a contender as long as, as, long as your, your most important players are still performing at a very, very high level. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins us here on Lighting Power Play Live. Yesterday at practice, now keep in mind Cedric Paquette took a uh, body maintenance day and did not skate. The lines were this, Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov, Coleman, Sorelli, Kalorn, Palat, Johnson, Gord, Maroon, Stevens, and Verhage. When everybody's healthy, who sits? And do you like Coleman playing with Sorelli and Kalorn? I think a lot of people had him pegged maybe in a bottom six role, but, you know, quite frankly... I guess the question I would have to those people is, what makes you think Palat and Tyler Johnson should continue to be in the top six? And, and that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a pretty valid point, as well as the fact that ever since the Lighting announced the trade for Coleman, I, I've kind of wanted to see him paired up with Anthony Sorelli in some way, whether it be on the penalty kill, whether it be at five on five, I, I think that those two matched up. And then you have Kalorn on that line as well. I think that could be a really, really fun line to watch. I, I'm very curious to see how that line performs in tonight's game. And if they, you know, how long that they'll stay together, if they start to produce or if they start to uh, create some problems for the opposition. As for who would come out of the lineup when everybody's healthy, I mean, the first inclination would be to look at, you know, Mitchell Stevens or Carter Verhage simply because of, you know, because they're rookies and they don't have as much experience as the veterans. And I would probably, if I had to pick one that's going to come out, I would say Verhage because simply because Stevens, I I think, brings a ton of value as a center. He's already proven to be very adept at faceoffs, pretty good at the on the penalty kill as well. And so if I had to pick one that's probably going to come out of the lineup, my my best estimation would be that would be Verhage. But I am looking forward to seeing Coleman in the top six because he's a guy I think I think that could play up and down the lineup. And you mentioned Johnson and Pilat as well. And Johnson, you know, when when he's on, as we saw last year, I mean, when he's producing you know, he, he's a guy that can really get on a hot streak and, and get going. But when he's when the offense isn't there, you know, it's just, you know, we've seen him become kind of invisible at times. And we've seen them move him up the lineup to try and get him going. And I still think Pilat has played pretty well, you know, pretty good. I would say he's played pretty good two way hockey throughout much of the season. I mean, we haven't seen as much offense from him as of late, but. You know, to me, it's all about Marin. I mean, if if a guy's you know deserving of a top six, you know, put him in the top six and see what happens. And if they're not, you know, bump him up down the or 
bump him down the lineup. And that's the thing about John Cooper is that he's not afraid to shift guys up and down the lineup, depending on how they're doing, depending on whether or not he feels like they need to get going. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see going forward, how Coleman is going to fit into this lineup for the rest of the season. I mean, if you put him with Sorelli, that that's going to be some really, really fun hockey to watch, whether it be at even strength or whether it be on the penalty kill. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with part two of our interview with Brooks Rowland. Hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Linelli. Don't forget, after the game tonight, Eric Rowlandson and I will have the last call recapping the Lightning and Coyotes right here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. Greg Lanelli with you. Don't forget, coming up in segment four, we're going to go out to Arizona and we're going to talk to Richard Morn. He covers the Coyotes um, for the Arizona Republic. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the issues maybe Arizona's had recently. Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel providing some offense that this team really needs. And what do they do uh, coming up here in the next couple of days uh, at the trade deadline to try and maybe add a bit more offense? But we uh, continue our conversation with Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports. Well, Brooksy, what do you make of Tyler Johnson's play this year? And really, where does he fit in with this team, I think, moving forward? I mean, he's a guy that has 13 goals this year. Last year, we know he hit 29. He's hit 29 twice in his career. I think he can be a difference maker but he's not been a difference maker enough this year. And I'm wondering if playing on a third and fourth line, if you're ever going to get that type of production out of him, maybe playing with Palats, maybe playing with a Gord, some guys who are somewhat skilled can get that out of him. But I asked the question yesterday on my show, which role player is key for the Lightning having a deep run in the playoffs? And I don't consider Sorelli to be a role player anymore. I think he's an impact guy. You can make a case for Kalorn. You can make a case for Palat. But I get the sense that Tyler Johnson, because of his previous experiences in the playoffs and his ability to be a point producer in this league, he'd be a guy that would be at the top of my list at least. I would put uh, I would put two guys up there that that I that I need to see something out of come playoff time. I mean, I would definitely throw Tyler Johnson into that mix. I would also you know I would also put Yanni Gord up there. You know, I mean, we we know about Gord's offensive struggles this season. While he's played well away from the puck, um, we just haven't seen, you know, the the shooting percentage hasn't been there. The goals haven't been there as much as you'd like to see of a guy that was given the contract that he was given. But at the same time, he hasn't necessarily played poorly. I, I feel like, you know, when you look at his some of his advanced stats, he's still, you know, pretty good puck possession wise. It's, it just hasn't been going in for him. And I feel like if he can get going you know, going, you know, heading into the playoffs, if he starts scoring, that's going to be a big boost for this team going forward. Because as we know, in the playoffs, the offense dries up across the league. I mean, the game is called differently by the officials. You know, it's, it get, it can be a bit of a slog out there. It's, you know, it's very, it, it can be tough to find room. And, you know, sometimes your star players get bottled up. And if you've got, depth players that can come in if Yanni Gord can start scoring again come the postseason that's going to be big as well 
And with Tyler Johnson, it's it always seems like there's there's one guy every year that kind of goes up and down the lineup for whatever reason. And we've seen Tyler Johnson play, you know, top line minutes. We've seen him play second and third line minutes. We've seen him at center. We've seen him on the wing. He's always been one of those guys that I feel needs to play with other skilled players. I mean, you know, a guy like Yanni Gord, you can bump down to the fourth line with Cedric Paquette and Pat Maroon, and you know he's not really going to miss much of a beat. But Tyler Johnson's always been a guy I felt like plays his best when he's playing with other players of similar skill, because he, he's never he's never been much of a I, I would say a setup guy, even though he's a center by trade. He's always been a pretty solid finisher, though. He's always been you know had, had a good shot. He's always had really you know really 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 underrated speed. But it seems like he's at his best when he's got other guys on his line that can also produce whose skill level that he can play off of as well. And so Johnson and Gord are going to be two guys that I'm going to be watching closely as as we get closer to the playoffs and especially in the playoffs, because as I said before, you need you get you know, you got to have depth scoring. You absolutely have to have it come the postseason. Obviously, you need your stars to produce, but your depth guys also have to come through as well. Do you think Julian Brisewan knows which player will be dealt in the off season, and who do you think that would be? I'm sure he's got uh, a pretty good idea of who he would um, of who he would move. Um, even though there are several no trade clauses on this roster, that's it's not necessarily a completely prohibitive thing. I mean, you know, a player can be asked to waive their no trade clause at any time. I mean, of course, they can refuse and say no, but depending on the move. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they convince somebody to waive that clause. Now, the favorite, I, I would think, to get dealt in the offseason, first guy that comes to mind is Alex Kalorn. And the reason I say that is because, you know, his, his no-trade clause becomes a modified no-trade clause in the offseason. He's having a career year. Um, the question is, though, is whether or not this is an outlier of a season, whether it's kind of like a one-off where he just goes crazy shooting percentage wise and starts scoring more than he normally does, which he already has. Or is this the start of a trend where maybe we start to see him become, you know, put together a few more 20 goal seasons, you know, as he's you know approaching the, uh, the back half of his career, that's going to be the big question going forward. I, I would think that he'd probably be the favorite, but I mean, you got to look around as well. I mean, there's other candidates to be moved. I mean, you mentioned Tyler Johnson, even though he has a no trade clause. I mean, maybe for the right price. And, you know, if if they convince him to waive it, same with Yanni Gord. I mean, th- those are the three possibilities that really come to mind when it comes to, you know, who could get moved in the offseason. But I would say simply because of the modified no trade clause, simply because if Brisebois sells, you know, sells high on him or if, if he trades him he'd be selling high I, I would think the favorite would be Alex Kalorn but that's going to be um, it's going to be something worth watching as we get into the offseason Brooks I feel like a lot of people will look at Tampa Bay and say the last two months they've been the best team in the league and I think their record would indicate that but when you look at the standings this morning they're five points behind Boston for the best record in all of hockey is not enough credit being given to Boston for how good they are? And would you consider them to be the team to beat in the East? Um, well, over the last couple of months, the, the, the Lightning have, have been playing the best hockey. I, but, you know, Boston got off to such a great start. And not to mention on top of that, they 
have been able to get some points due to overtime and shootout losses as well. But the thing is with, with Boston, it's like, I, I would, I would say when, when you look at the top te- teams in the East, there there's, there's four, I think true, you know, top teams that you could label as Stanley cup contenders in the East. You got Boston, you got Tampa Bay, you've got Pittsburgh and you've got Washington. I mean, to me, even though the East is deep, those are, in my opinion, those are your top four. I think Boston, at the end of the day, maybe they don't have as much depth offensively as the Lightning do. But at the same time, when you get a top line like they have with Pasternak, who's having just a sensational year, you know, to go along with Marchand and Bergeron, when you've got high-end goaltending that you're getting from Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak, when you've got a pretty solid defensive core as well, I mean, that that's not going to be an easy out for anybody come playoff time. Now, would the Lightning be a favorite in a playoff series? I think so. But I, I think if those two meet up in the postseason, I, I don't necessarily see it being a five-gamer this time around. I, I could see it going six, maybe seven. And I, I still think even though Boston's got the lead, but the Lightning have been playing overall better hockey over the last few months or so, the Bruins are starting to heat up a little bit again. And it, that's going to be that's going to be a fun race to watch going down the stretch of the season because they've still got two more meetings left against each other. So those are going to be, you know, important points for the Lightning to uh, to bank if they're going to try and catch up to the Bruins. But as we saw last year, it, you know, if they win the division, great. If they win the conference, you know, great as well. If they hey, if they even get another President's Trophy, good on them. But at you know, when it comes down to it. I don't really care where the Lightning end up when when it comes to their playoff seed. Just get in. Get in. Make sure that you're playing your best hockey at the right time. Because as we saw a year ago, you know, the, they, they, the Lightning kind of slacked off down the stretch. You know, they'd clinched everything early. They didn't have a lot to play for. And by the time the playoffs showed up, they, you could tell that they clearly were not ready. Whereas this year, it's been a different story. I think being... Being in this race with Boston for the top spot in the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference has been good for them. Facing some adversity earlier this year as well has been really, really good for them. And so I, I think that when you've got something to play for down the stretch, it really, really helps. And I think that that'll go a long way towards uh, seeing the Lightning start to play their best hockey once it matters most, you know, starting in April. Don't lie. You won Columbus in the first round, don't you? <laughs> You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I, I think it would make a great story. You know, it, you, you could, you know, call it Lightning Revenge Tour 2020, and you know, started off with a team that swept them in last year's playoffs. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. I mean, w- when it comes down to it, you know, it, I don't necessarily care who they play in the playoffs. You know, it, I, I think the goal for them is play your best hockey when it matters most. Make sure you've got got things together down the stretch and starting in the first round of the playoffs as well. I mean, personally, I the fan side of me would love to see them play Columbus in the first round again just to get, you know, see them get a shot at redemption. But the uh, the more objective side of me is not really partial as to who they play in the first round. I mean, they could play if they end up playing Toronto. I think that that'd be a fun series. If they played Florida in the first round, I think that'd be fantastic. I've. 
I've wanted to see a Lightning Panthers playoff series for many, many years. And for so long, those two teams just haven't been, they just haven't been good at the same time. Either one team is struggling, the other one's doing well, or both are struggling. But very rarely do you see both teams make the playoffs at the same time. The last time it happened was 2016. And the last time before that was 1996. So I wouldn't be opposed to a Lightning Panthers playoff series as well. But, you know, the old fan in me wants, to, you know, kind of wants to see Lightning Blue Jackets. I wouldn't be upset about that. We've seen three ta- teams make big moves in the East, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Tampa Bay. Who do you think improve themselves the most? It's obviously early, and Kasha hasn't even played for Boston yet, but who has the potential of making the biggest impact? Ooh, well... I, I would say I go back and forth between the Zucker trade with Pittsburgh and the Coleman trade with the Lightning. Um, in terms of overall depth to the roster, I mean, I, I would give the Lightning the edge with Blake Coleman. But, you know, I, I, I really, really like the Zucker trade for Pittsburgh. I mean, sure, they gave up a first round pick. You know, they gave up a top prospect in Kalen Addison. But at the same time, as we mentioned with Nolan Foote, you know, you never know how prospects are going to truly turn out until you see what they do at the NHL level. You know, in Pittsburgh, much like the Lightning, they're in win-now mode. You know, they needed they needed some help on the wing with Jake Gensel still being out, and he's probably not going to return this season. If if he does, it won't be until late in the playoffs if Pittsburgh, you know, makes a deep run. I really, really like the, the Zucker trade because it gives Sidney Crosby a running mate for them, a guy that can score goals. You know, a guy that can that has the skill set to play with elite players, and you know he's he's been one of those guys that's kind of driven the helped drive the bus offensively for Minnesota. But now you put a, a guy like him as you know as a high, you know a high end offensive player as a more a slightly more complimentary piece in Pittsburgh. I think that Zucker is probably going to thrive with the Penguins. Although the Coleman trade with the Lightning, I still really really like that one as well. And you know, curious to see how Kasha plays out with Boston. I thought that that was a pretty interesting trade for both Boston and Anaheim because the the thing, the big question with Kasha is can he stay healthy? When he's been healthy, he's actually been a, a really really solid player for the Anaheim Ducks. But you know, Anaheim's in a bit of a um, a bit of a I wouldn't say a full blown rebuild, but they're you know slightly in a retooling phase. So for them to you know get out of or to get a first round pick back for Andre Kasha and you know, ensure they're taking back David Backus's contract, but you have to remember Boston's retaining some of the salaries, so that's going to be a lot more easy to digest. Um, if I had to rank the three moves, I would say a slight edge to Pittsburgh as as the top spot, but Blake Col- the Blake Coleman trade for the Lightning is right behind them, and then I, I would put the Kasha trade with Boston third on that list, just because. You know, of Kasha's injury history, and we haven't seen him yet play with Boston, so it's more of an incomplete. But all in all, I think pretty solid moves by three of the top teams in the East. And then, Brooksy, lastly, when you take a look at the team they're playing tonight, I applaud Arizona for going out and trying to get more offense. It started uh, earlier in the year with Phil Kessel uh, being traded in the offseason. We saw Taylor Hall being acquired, and he's been, I think, okay, not dynamic. But they needed scoring, and they tried to address it with those two players. What do you make of this Arizona team, and do you think they're done dealing, and do they need more offense? I think Arizona is one of those teams that that's always looking for more offense. It, it seems like you know there, there's always teams that are always seems like they're looking for uh, for one position to short things up. I know for 
you know, several years, it was the Lightning trying to shore up their blue line at the deadline. Well, with Arizona, they've been trying to find guys that can put the puck in the back of the net. I mean, this, this is a team that's all in all pretty solid defensively. They've got some great goaltending. They've, they've really, really got some great goaltending, but they've also hit, you know, had the injury bug hit pretty hard. Um, the thing is, is that the offense, though, hasn't quite been there as much as you'd like. Yeah, Taylor Hall has been pretty solid for Arizona. He hasn't quite hit that heart trophy level that he was at a couple years ago with New Jersey. And Phil Kessel hasn't really found his stride with the Coyotes yet this year either. And I think that they're going to need a little bit more from them down the stretch. I mean, this is a team that, you know, they don't give up many goals. I mean, you look at the total goal scored in the league, they rank ninth in total goals allowed. But the problem is they're 22nd in, in goals scored. So it's a team that you know doesn't have a lot of finishers on their roster. But when you play, you know, some pretty solid defensive hockey as well as when you've got some really really good goaltending. I know Darcy Kemper's been hurt, but you know, Antti Ranta and Aiden Hill have you know played well in his absence. And Ranta the other night was against St. Louis. My goodness, <laughs> I think the shots on goal in that game were. I wanted it was forty six to fourteen or forty six to fifteen. And in favor of the Blues, and Ronta made 45 saves. I mean, they ended up losing that game one nothing, but without him, that the final score of that game is probably five nothing or six nothing. I mean, he single handedly kept them in that game. So that that's a team that I think right now is having some trouble hitting the back of the net. We haven't seen them score more than three goals in a game since mid January. I think they beat San Jose six to three in a game on January 14th, and that's the last time they had more than three goals in a game. So the offense, you know, they, they've got to find ways to produce offense. It's it. The thing is a playoff spot is very, very, you know, realistic, especially with the way the Pacific division has gone this year. It's to me, even though you could classify it as the weakest division in the league, you still got five teams at the top of it that are bunched together and that you could make a case for each of them. I mean, and the teams being, you know, Arizona, Calgary, Edmonton, Vegas, and Vancouver, you can make a case for each of those teams, either winning the division or finishing in fifth place. So, I mean, this is not going to be, I don't, I don't think this is going to be an easy team. It's not going to be a pushover. The Lightning have had their issues with the Coyotes over the last few years. I know uh, last year they went to Arizona. It was early in the season and, you know, sure it was on the back end of a back-to-back and they ended up losing seven to one, but still, you know, it was, you know, this is a team that the Lightning have at times have had their struggles with over the last few years. So, you know, you'd like to see them, you know, get off to a really solid start, you know, start, uh, you know, just really start generating some shots early on. Because, I mean, how often do we see the Lightning where, you know, they, they'll they generate plenty of chances, plenty of shots, but it seems to kind of take them a while to get going in terms of actually putting the puck on net. So, I think if they can get off to a quick start, that's going to really going to help against this team. But it's not a it's not a group that the Lightning can take lightly. Lastly, forty years ago today, the miracle on ice took place. There have been a lot of great moments in sports, but you'd be hard pressed to argue, Brooksy, that that one that took place forty years ago at Lake Placid uh, unified a country more than what took place against the Soviets. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even though it happened about two years before I was born, it's still, you know, looking back at some of the greatest moments in sports history, it's still my favorite. I mean, when, when, you know, do looking back on it, doing the research on it and seeing just 
what was happening in our country at that time? I mean, it was just, you know, it, things were in a state of upheaval. You know, the, it was it was a rough time for America then. And, you know, you had a group of 20 scrappy college kids coming together and, you know, taking down, you know, one of the biggest powerhouse hockey teams of all time. I mean, it, you, you see the documentaries made about about the Russian hockey machine from, you know, from that era, you know, starting from the fifties all the way into the eighties, those teams were just unstoppable. Nobody, nobody could hang with the Russians. I mean, I mean, NHL all-star teams were getting just crushed by the Soviets. And then this, uh, this eclectic ragtag bunch of, like I said, a bunch of college players, you know, came together on, you know, the right circumstances under the right head coach with the late Herb Brooks, you know, and, and they did the impossible. And I mean, it, to, to this day, I, I've seen, you know, a full rebroadcast of the game before. I mean, I've watched Miracle. I don't know how many times I'll probably watch it again today just because it's the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. But yeah, all in all, it, it, it's one of my favorite moments, in, I think, in sports history. And it, it's just it's funny how one sport that maybe isn't quite as popular in the United States as others. It, it's amazing how how that could could just bring a country together at at the right moment i think when they needed it no doubt because of everything surrounding the country during that time very very unifying that win and um it brought a lot of people together and you know i I think in some ways push hockey to another level here in the states but uh, what a moment we'll never see that again for sure i don't think so maybe at least in our lifetime and yeah if you have a chance to watch miracle do it because it is certainly worth it. Well, Brooksy, this was a lot of fun, buddy. We always appreciate you stopping by here on my show, Lightning Power Play Live. We'll listen to your show, The Scrum Sports, throughout the weekend here on Lightning Power Play, and we'll read your work on uh, the website, scrumsports.com. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. All right, there he goes. That is our good friend, Brooks Roland from The Scrum Sports. All right, coming up next, we are going to go out to Arizona, and we are going to get a scanner report on the Coyotes a little bit more. Richard Moore, and we've had him on before. He's the beat writer for the Coyotes, the Arizona Republic. We'll get his thoughts on why this team has been inconsistent this year. That's all coming up next on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. Thanks to Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports, who joined us in that uh, previous segment, previous two segments. We're getting you set for Lightning and Coyote. Should be a, a decent game tonight, no doubt. Arizona needs some wins. Tampa Bay wants to bounce back after losing to Vegas the other night. And here to talk about this game and so much more, our good friend, he covers the Coyotes for the Arizona Republic. Let's welcome back to the program, Rick Morin. Rick, first off, buddy, great to be with you. And boy, oh boy, back on, uh, what, January 14th, the Coyotes found themselves in first place in the Pacific. It's now February 22nd, and they aren't occupying a playoff spot. What's happening with this team? Yeah, and first of all, Greg, thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure to to be with you. And yeah, it's been a lot has changed, really, since the last time we talked. And uh that was not that long ago, really, it feels like. Uh, and for the Coyotes, it feels like a, a lifetime has, has passed because so much is different. The optics are different. And, and like you said, they were in a playoff spot just a few weeks ago. I mean, in, in first place in the Pacific just a few weeks ago. And, and now they're out on the outside looking in. 
you know, to be, to be fair, the Pacific is still very tight. I think they're still like only, you know, four points out of first place or something like that. Um, they have, you know, the other teams around them have games at hand, but they still have three games remaining against uh, Vancouver and still, you know, quite a few games remaining against those division opponents. So not all is lost, but uh, certainly it's been a, it's pretty, it's been a pretty tough run for them. They have, I think since they were in first place, they have the third fewest points uh, in the NHL over that span. Something's got to change. They've lost their magic on the road. They started the season 14-6-3 on the road. Since then, they're 1-9-1 away from Glendale. So uh, they're coming back off a tough, uh, tough back-to-back road trip through Dallas and St. Louis. Only one day off that they had yesterday uh, before this game against the Lightning. Not exactly the team you want to welcome you back home after that tough turnaround. But they're hoping uh, to kind of keep their, keep their home identity going. They've had some nice performances at home, so they're kind of hoping to maybe recapture that and, and, and flush away what was a really disappointing road trip. Rick, in general, and we'll get into some specific players here, but in general, and they've tried to address this, which I like what they've done from that standpoint, but are they still just struggling to find ways to score? They are. I mean, they're 26 out of 31 teams in terms of goals per game. I mean, a lot of people want to talk, oh, you know, the Coyotes aren't tough enough. Oh, you know, they make these defensive mistakes. And, oh, you know, Darcy Kemper's out. And honestly, like, uh, and, you know, the schedule's been tough. And I think all of those are valid concerns. But at the end of the day, I think you're you're looking at a team that is still star for offense despite the offseason addition of Phil Kessel and despite adding Taylor Hall uh, in December. This is still a team that is really struggling to put the puck in the net. And that's, at, you know, at the expense of Taylor Hall has produced a, nearly a point-per-game pace. It still hasn't made much of, a, of an impact. You have guys like Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, Oliver ekman Larson, and, and Phil Kessel, guys who just simply aren't producing. And that's, that's just unacceptable for this team because they need these guys. They don't have an elite play driver down the middle of the ice. And maybe Barrett Hayton can be that uh, down the road. But uh, at this point, their best option is Christian Dvorak, who is having a nice season, but he's not a Braden Point, right? He's not a, a Steven Stamkos. He's not one of these elite play drivers down the middle of the ice. That's what they're start for. And uh, I, I just think it's it's really uh, hamstringing this team right now because they're not producing enough offense. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of other things you can point to. But at the end of the day, if you're a, a bottom five team in, in offense, it's not exactly surprising to see you on the outside of the playoff picture. Rick, I applauded the Coyotes getting Taylor Hall. It's a team that needed offense, and they went out and got an elite player. But the move hasn't done what the Coyotes had hoped, at least in terms of the record. How has Hall looked in a Coyotes uniform? And what type of impact has he had? He's been great. I mean, he's been, in my opinion, he's been their most consistent player uh, since they acquired him in December. He's producing a nearly a point-per-game pace. His, uh, his line has really been the Coyotes' only consistent line. That's a line with Christian Dvorak, who I think is at a really, really nice season. He's established himself as a very reliable 200-foot centerman who wins face-offs and can also contribute offensively. And then also Connor Garland, who uh, has really – established himself as a legitimate goal scorer in the NHL at this point. Um, you know, leads the team in goals. The Coyotes only 20 goal scorer to this point in the season. That line has been very, very effective. And Taylor Hall has been kind of doing it all himself. And I think it was especially evident on Thursday against St. Louis when the Coyotes really, they just had no juice in that game. They were on the second end of a back-to-back. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, there was no urgency and there was no energy in that game. And Taylor Hall was the only one. I mean, he, he had four of the Coyotes' 14 shots in the entire game. Uh, he was really trying to do it all himself because he realized that his teammates had absolutely nothing in the tank. And you, you could see, you could see, I mean, Taylor Hall had so many turnovers just simply because he was uh, trying to do so much just by himself in that game. He was really trying to carry the, carry the Coyotes to, to a win there, but they ended up uh, losing one, nothing um, to the blues, despite Auntie Ranta's uh, 45 saves in that one. 
Rick, what are they trying to do with his contract? Because I've heard some national guys say if they can't get Hall beyond this year, then they should trade him before the deadline. But then again, this is a team that's trying to make the playoffs. And if you're struggling to score goals, isn't he a guy you want to keep? Yeah, nothing's impossible. But I, I certainly, from all the conversations I've had with John Chaika, um, it certainly uh, doesn't seem like it's it's very much of a possibility that he's going to be dealt at the deadline. They acquired him with the you know, with, with the uh, option there of, of feeling that they had a really, really good chance to re-sign him in, in the offseason in free agency. Now, it seems like a contract extension is off the table at this point. That was kind of uh, known to the team when they acquired him. They knew that Taylor Hall and his agent, Darren Ferris, wanted to hit the open market, but the Coyotes felt that if they could bring in Taylor Hall as early as December, they could uh, kind of indoctrinate him into the team, and, and he could see what it's like to live in Arizona, what it's like to play in Arizona, um, and maybe sell him on the Coyotes that way, and that and by doing that, give them a chance at signing him long term. So they feel they feel like they're in a good position to do it. But it's hard not to wonder. Uh, you know, the Coyotes. There's a lot of reasons why it feels really necessary for them to make the playoffs. They finished four points short last year. They went out, they got Phil Castle, they got Carl Soderberg, and now they have Taylor Hall, and they still don't make the playoffs. That would certainly be pretty bad optics for this team. But you have to uh, sort of consider what those consequences might be for Taylor Hall, who at this point in his career, winning has got to be the prime directive for him. He wants to go somewhere where he has a legitimate chance of winning the Stanley Cup. And if the Coyotes are still a team that's struggling to just get into the playoffs, does he really want to sign here long term? So I think there's implications there, and it would really behoove the Coyotes to make the playoffs in more ways than one. I was going to ask you, Rick, does a strong finish with the Coyotes coincide with Hall maybe signing long term? In other words, if they falter and peter out and don't make the playoffs, do you think it's easier for Hall to sit there and say, you know what, it's time for me to test the market? Absolutely. And like, look, I mean, that's just speculating, right? So I can't, I can't tell you, I mean, everything, every conversation that I've had with Taylor Hall, every conversation that I've had with John Chica has been, you know, very pleasant. I think, I think Taylor is very open-minded. He, he really likes living in Arizona. He really likes his teammates so far. So I want to make sure I say that, but it's, it's hard not to speculate. It's hard not to wonder what goes through Taylor's, Taylor's mind if this team doesn't make the playoffs after occupying first place. Uh, you know, just over a month ago, you know, they fall like that. And all of his teammates around him, most of whom are signed here to be long term, you know, just kind of flounder when the season matters the most. Is that really an organization you want to sign up for a long term and, and play for really the rest of your prime and maybe even the rest of your career? So I think it's hard not to wonder if that goes through Taylor's mind. But, um, you know, at this point in the season, I think it's, you know, he's still open minded and, and he likes it here. So I think uh, if a strong finish, certainly would think it helps, and, and uh, a bad finish would certainly think that would not help. Rick Morin from the Coyotes, uh, Arizona Republic, joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Rick, I also applauded the Coyotes getting Phil Kessel at the time. He's a guy, although tough to coach, that can produce points, but he's been a disappointment this year, I would think, just not the production yeah. they were looking for when they traded for him, and you can really see why he basically has a shelf life wherever he goes. Yeah, it's really it's baffling with Phil Kessel, and we've kind of been trying to figure it out all year he really hasn't had a consistent stretch of, of good performance all year long. Um, and that's really the, the, the kind of the weirdest part about it. You know, you look at guys like Clayton Keller and, and these other guys that have been disappointments, they've at least had stretches this year where they've been consistent. Um, you know, like I think Clayton Keller had a 16 game stretch where he was a point per game player. That was really good. And then, you know, he kind of was, you know, very quiet um, around that stretch. Bill Kessel has been consistently inconsistent, um, I guess, for lack of a better term. And um, you know, it's it's really it's really kind of confusing to figure out what's going on with him. You know the decisions he's making on the power play, uh, some of his uh, some of the mistakes that he's making at five on five, and 
Um, it, it's really just kind of head scratching when you try to <laughs> try to wrap your head around what's going on with Phil. But I do think there it should be mentioned that uh, his teammates really do like him. It is very clear that the young players in this Coyotes locker room are gravitating toward Phil. They ask Phil for advice, and Phil listens to them. Phil. Uh, kind of takes them under his wing and, and talks to these players and hangs out with them. And I think that's a big thing for these young guys. Um, you know, they have some other veterans that have won. You look at guys like Nicholas Jalmerson, um, Brad Richardson. I mean, they, right, they have guys that have won um, cups before. But I think when you look at a guy like Phil Kessel, he's a little bit, maybe a little bit more relatable to um, to some of these players like Clayton Keller, like Nick Schmaltz. And, and uh, I think it's been a really big, uh, you've seen this move pay dividends off the ice, but the Coyotes certainly have not seen it pay dividends on the ice. You know, he's Phil Kessel so fascinating because I, I think for a good portion of his career underappreciated with the numbers that he put up, especially in Toronto. But then he goes to Pittsburgh and he wins yeah. two cups and he's really good with the Penguins. But his last year, I think, had a lot of people in that organization say to themselves, all right, I think it's probably time to move on from Kessel. He really is just a... An interesting superstar, and I don't even know if you consider him a star anymore, uh, Rick. He's probably a guy that's going to get most of his points on the power play, especially if he's not going to shoot. I think Phil probably looks at himself more as a playmaker than a shooter now, which is frustrating because he has an elite shot, doesn't he? He does, he does, and he still has that shot. And it's I've seen, I can't even count how many times I've seen Phil just let go a shot that misses, you know, seven feet wide of the net, and you're like, where is that shot? And even on the power play, too, I just... I see Phil is just kind of hesitant, and I think early in the season, before they got Taylor Hall, they were trying to feed Phil on the power play for that one time, or they just couldn't get it to him. Um, and then now they're kind of power play is kind of they, they don't really know what they're doing out there. The power play has been real frustrating for this team, and even I mean all the talent that they have on paper, they still are kind of fighting themselves out there on the man advantage. And I mean you've seen Phil. Phil really hasn't had that many points on the power play too. So if, if you look at him, a guy that's going to you know, get most of his points on the power play. He at least has to do that. If he's gonna, if he's gonna be making, uh, you know, kind of suspect decisions at five on five, you at least need him to, you know, give you something on the power play. And you know, by and large, he he just really hasn't. Now, with all of that being said, can you make a case that Clayton Keller has been the biggest disappointment offensively when you consider the production and the salary? Yeah, I would. I would consider Clayton a, a bigger disappointment than Phil Castle. Just simply, I mean, and that's really just a personal thing because I really didn't expect Phil to do much here. Um, I expected him to be better to be better than this. Uh, don't get me wrong, but um, I didn't I didn't expect you know 30 goals and uh, you know 70 points out of Phil Kessel. I did expect a big bounce back season for Clayton Keller because I mean he had a really down year last year, just 47 points, which was almost 20 points removed from his rookie campaign. John Chaykin goes and signs him to uh, an eight-year deal worth more than seven million dollars annually. Now that deal doesn't kick in until next season, so you know Clayton is is still uh, making uh, his his rookie money this year, but Certainly when you sign a guy to that kind of deal, uh, you want to see him do something. And right now, Clayton Keller is on pace to finish with the exact same number of points he did last year in the exact same, num same number of games played, which I, I think if you're John Chica, you know, I know, I know John's a, you know, a guy who looks at the big picture and he's going to look at, you know, he's still got eight years left of the deal for it to prove itself. But I mean, it's hard not to think that you got to be feeling some heat after signing a guy uh, to, to that kind of a deal and for him to only be producing at, at such a low level and really to be disappearing when the team needs you most. Clayton Keller, even last year, the Coyotes finished just four points shy of a playoff spot. And remember, this was a Coyotes team with no Taylor Hall, no Phil Kessel, no Carl Soderberg. Clayton Keller was the guy. He had one point, uh, I think, in his last 10 games or, or last 11 games of the season last year when the Coyotes were trying to make the playoffs. He absolutely disappeared. And we've seen the exact same thing this year. Clayton Keller 
has dropped off the face of the earth again when the Coyotes need him the most. Now, look, there's still 18 games for him to go and for him to get it together. And I'm sure if he has a real hot stretch here, you know, a lot will be forgiven from this season, especially if he can get the team into the playoffs. But, um, you know, it's really it's really got to be concerning. And for me, yes, a much bigger disappointment given the, the sense that Clayton Keller should be entering his prime right now. He should be uh, knocking on the doorstep of his uh, his top potential. And uh, he is just still very mediocre and that that's much more disappointing than an aging Phil Kessel. In my I opinion. know if they had injuries at the position, but you could make a case that the tandem of Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta is the best in the league. The numbers are staggering when you take a look at save percentage and goals against, particularly for Kemper. I know he's been injured since what around December 18th or 19th and the record hasn't been great with him being out, but it's not like Ranta hasn't been good. What do you make of their goaltending tandem? And is that, kind of the duo they want to go with moving forward here. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously Darcy Kemper was a Vezina candidate, uh, but now he's missed more than a quarter of the season. I think he was their team MVP. You can't really say that anymore as he's missed so much time. Uh, but he was certainly uh, producing elite numbers. And Antti Rock has been a little hot and cold. You know, he, he took over for, uh, for Kemper right after that injury, but then he had, you know, Ronta had to deal with some injuries himself. Aiden Hill had to come in and he battled, but you know, he certainly, he's just not at that level that Kemper and Ranta are at. And it was pretty, it was pretty evident, but lately, I mean, Antti Ranta in February has a 949 save percentage. I mean, he's been probably the best goaltender of the NHL this month. And yet he just has a four and three record. I mean, that kind of just goes to show you how much the Coyotes are struggling in front of him, that Ranta has been elite. I mean, 45 saves against the St. Louis blues. He was uh, phenomenal, um, as, you know, at the end of the uh, end of the Coyotes' homestand, too. I mean, he's just put together so many great performances, especially this month, and he has really hit his stride. But it hasn't made much of an impact. And then, you know, so people are thinking, oh, you know, when the Coyotes get Darcy Kemper back, you know, we'll be all set. I'm like, really? I mean, you really you're going to get Darcy Kemper back and get a goaltender that's saving, you know, more than, <laughs> you know, a 950 save percentage? You know, that's that's really uh, that's not something you can count on. You know, the the problem is elsewhere. The problem is not the goaltending and. Uh, you know, certainly you like that Kemper-Ranta tandem on paper, and uh, but right now the Coyotes are trying to figure out how they make it into the playoffs this year. It certainly looks good for next year, but that's really not what they're thinking about right now. Finally, Rick, what do you make uh, of this team and their chances of getting into the playoffs? Do you think they sneak in, and um, do you still feel like there's a move out there that they're going to try and make to address maybe some issues offensively? Yeah, well, I'll answer that last part first. I mean, obviously the trade deadline's Monday, 1 p.m. Arizona time, so... Um, you know, but John Chike is really not a big fan of the trade deadline. He feels like uh, you have to overpay for things. And I just, I mean, I, I can certainly see areas, you know, where you can look at this team, especially if they, um, if they lose on Saturday, uh, if they lose today, I should say, uh, you know, maybe you look at moving a veteran like Michael Grabner, seeing what you can get. And kind of that gives you a little bit more cap space to play with for um, maybe the rest of this year and next year. Maybe you look at doing a deal like that, but I can't imagine any big splashes. This is the group they're going to live and die with. Um, and, uh, you know, as for their playoff chances, they need, they need something to go right. They need, they need somebody besides Taylor Hall to start doing something, quite frankly. They need Clayton Keller to, to start taking over the game. You know, they need, um, they, they need some of their, uh, their bottom six lines to start producing. They need Derek Stepan to start producing. Um, and that's what they're going to need. They're going to need to cut out the defensive mistakes, and um, they're going to need to start producing more offensively. Something's got to change with this team because right now the way they're playing hockey – especially over the last uh, month and really even two months when you look at the big picture, 
it's just not sustainable hockey and it's really just, just not playoff hockey. So they get to find a new gear here in the next 18 games, or it's going to be a, a major disappointment of a season. Rick, good stuff as always, buddy. Best of luck the rest of the way. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it, man. Rick Warren from the Arizona Republic. We have got the game. It's the pregame up next, Lightning and Coyotes. You can listen to all the action right here on Lightning Power Play.